episode Loaded nine. Oh. Does he sit second, man? No, I don't I think he does. I think Kevin Keegan probably sits second. Oh, my God, what a <laughs> scandal. Austin Eckler versus the cards. Go and fuck yeah. the lot of you. <laughs> Austin Eckler. He's making me like I'm some sort of cameo. Like, I'm coming in and go, and out the bag, England to win. Hello and welcome to episode 34 of Loaded Sport, where today we're going to be reviewing the weekend's action, including the first piece of silverware of the football season that was up for grabs between Manchester United and Newcastle at Wembley. We discussed the latest in the Premier League saga, as well as Chelsea and the latest surrounding Graham Potter and his potential uh, move before the end of the season. We've also got night five of the Darts Premier League. We've also got another review of Kempe's Combat Corner and some excellent uh, combat that's been taking place this last weekend shall we say and we'll leave it just there excellent strong fun excellent strong excellent strong well as somebody that uh, leaves you guys to discuss it i'll let you talk about just how excellent it may or may not have been uh, to discuss all of this and much more with me uh, we welcome back dawson how are you doing all right mate thank you what about yourself i'm, I'm very good thank you uh back to Back to uh, the beginning of the week, hoping for the weekend. I prefer it on Thursdays when you ask me, because I know the weekend's just around the corner, whereas on a Monday it's just me. I guess I'm still here and carrying on doing yeah. my same job. That's it. How was, uh, how was your weekend? It was good, thank you, mate. Um, apart from the fact that Chesterfield once again lost, let me down, and we are on free fall. No winning eight, but what are you going to do when you're about to be on the outside of the playoffs looking in? Can't it- be good, can't be good. It cannot. Joining us also to go through all of this is uh, somebody else who's getting himself a bit more familiarised at the moment with a side that's a little bit out of form. Mr Kemp, how are you doing? Checking. We fucking won at weekend, pal. Wind your neck in. <laughs> Mr Dawson, man with the mic. How are we doing, chaps? You OK? Good, thank you. yourself? Yeah, fantastic. And just to sort of um, touch on what Adam just mentioned there, Sheffield United, uh, second in the Championship, 64 points. Uh, played 33 games. Middlesbrough are third in the Championship, played 34 games, so that's one more, and 57 points. So if we win our game in hand, we are 10 points clear with about 10, 12 games to go. So let's not compare ourselves to Chesterfield just yet, eh, Adam? Well, yeah, what it point. is, mate, is when you've lost two games on the bounce, as before this weekend Sheffield United had done, and the other person mm. in the group supports Manchester United, where else am I going to look for somebody that's out of form other than Chesterfield? Yeah, I wouldn't bother, mate. Two losses is not the same as the shit show that's going on down at the Technique Stadium at the moment, but I'm sure at some point we'll get to it. You, We probably will, and it'll make me want to cry when we do. Uh, we'll kick things off by discussing the EFL Cup final that took place on Sunday and what an occasion it was, with Manchester United walking out 2-0 winners. So, Skin, we'll come over to you first as the United supporter. Just how much confidence does that give you in the process of what Eric Ten Hag has brought to uh, to Old Trafford? Um, I, I wouldn't say it would. It gives me much more confidence, um, but it's it's just that it's that stamp into it's that stamp of approval, that rubber stamp, that that sort of checkpoint in the in the journey that they're they're on and they're going to be on over the next few years. Absolutely brilliant. The the atmosphere pre-match was phenomenal from both sides. Um, I, I mentioned it in our group chat and I'll put it out there for our listeners for their opinion as well. If that pre-match atmosphere and, and the atmosphere throughout the game does not justify or does not, or is not the biggest sort of um, against for having the FA Cup semi-finals at Wembley as well, I don't know what is because it was an occasion 
those two teams we've spoke about before in terms of where they're at with their journey. They're both in the process of a, a rebuild as such for, for future success. And uh, yeah, like like you said, Adam, what an occasion it was. And yeah, FA Cup semi-finals need to be binned. It needs to be at a, a Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and and Old Trafford, say, for example, with that final being at Wembley, because the whole point is the journey there. Um, and I just wanted to put that out there because I thought, that, like I said, the atmosphere was absolutely phenomenal. In terms of the performance, as has been the case for a lot of Manchester United's games recently, certainly since the World Cup, the first half was relatively even. Casemiro getting that opening goal, which was just by the narrowest of margins on side. Um, and then Rashford getting that second shortly after, which was then credited as a Botman own goal. And then today has again been reversed to a Rashford uh, goal. But we'll get more into detail on that later because it, uh, it has an effect on our lock-in. But yeah, overall, mate, absolutely buzzing, as you would be. Relatively comfortable performance overall. Eric Tenag, what a bloke, what a guy. You could see how much it meant to the players. You could see how much it meant to him. You could see how much it meant to the fans. You could see how much it meant to everyone. But... As he quite rightly said, they're back in work today and it's uh, it's on to Wednesday in the FA Cup fifth round against West Ham uh, and an opportunity, another uh, another title, another trophy, but they've, uh, they've got to get past West Ham first to get to the quarterfinals. And I suppose it brings up the question that I've asked a couple of times surrounding fixture congestion, players being dropped. It was touch and go as to whether Marcus Rashford would be actually playing in that game. He did. He scored a goal. Would you say he scored a goal? You said yourself you thought he might have been an own goal. Officially, yeah. Officially, he has scored an own goal. Yeah, officially, yeah. Scored, but would you would you give it him? I I was surprised if you if you remember when he scored, I said I think that will get overturned to an own goal because the sort of reverse angle of it did look like when he took kicked the ball, it was going off target, and then obviously Botman uh, Botman diverted it towards the net. So I was quite surprised to see it overturned again in Rashford's favour earlier today, but. Yeah, like Kemp said, officially in the history books, it goes down as a Rashford goal. You can't really argue that. So it's it's just another uh, another checkpoint in the uh, in the fine form that he's in, and another goal to add to the tally he's got so far this season. Absolutely, and with of course the Premier League title race heating up as well, Kemp, I'll ask you this one um, from an, an outside perspective, looking in an unbiased opinion. We've spoken about how Manchester United have um, an, a, an outside chance of competing, if not winning the Premier League. I know you're standing by City, I'm standing by Arsenal. But that, that performance that they put in against Newcastle, the, how they controlled the game and took the game to them, I know Newcastle were underdogs going into that game. It really gives Manchester United supporters that extra chance that, you know, this could be a year that they do from absolutely nowhere, put in a, a challenge for the title. Um, A challenge, perhaps. Uh, I, I think a challenge is definitely on the cards. Look at the table at the moment. Arsenal played 24-57 points. Man City played 25-55 points. Man United played 24-49 points. So, if Man United win the game and Andover City, they go three points behind. Um, it, if I know we've mentioned it before, but if United had no FA Cup games to play, no Europa League games to play. I know the League Cup's over and done with now, so that's kind of that one ticked off. Um, I, I would maybe consider them a little bit more. I, I just think with Ten Hag and, and with how serious he's shown that he takes every single competition, he doesn't really discriminate between Carabao Cup, FA Cup, Europa League, Premier League. If he's got a fit squad and he's got the players, then he'll play them. And Saturday or, you know, the following fixture, whether it's in the league or whatever, will kind of take care of itself. So 
I don't think so. Um, I think Arsenal and City will not drop enough points for United to be involved. Um, if anything's going to happen, you put a gun to my head now, I'd say Man United maybe finish second, Arsenal third. But again, it's a it's a bit of a stretch. Um, but there's still a bit of time. There's still a few games to play. There's still you know, 13, 14 games left of the season. So there's still plenty of time for things to change. But gun to my head, a challenge maybe, but do our heart of hearts think they will win the title or they've got a decent chance of winning the title? Then no, I'd, I'd say not. But what a feather in the cap. Eric Ten Hag's first opportunity to win a trophy, first first trophy won. A great performance um, from what I saw over the weekend. It was very efficient. Newcastle didn't really look like they had much. I think there was one De Gea save in the second half, but apart from that, it was pretty limited. So, yeah, it's it's a great start for Ten Hag, but I think he's kind of drilled it home in the sense that that's all it is. It's a start, and he's said that. The fans believe that, and, and I think everybody around the club is kind of of the same opinion that, OK, now we've won the League Cup. That's not where we finish. That's where we start. That's the marker. So, great win for them. Great great win for the United fans. Great win for Ten Hag, but more importantly, a great win for uh, the greatest of all time, Val Veghorst. <laughs> Your guy. Right, oh so, mate, did you see? Uh, did you see the story about Val after? So we uh, he got he had a request to do a, a post-match TV interview, and he was that happy and crying that he couldn't compose himself to do it, and he was just like going to Eric Ten Hag, like thanking him so much for bringing him in and giving him the opportunity to be a part of it. Good. What he's a bloke! He don't need to. Say, he don't need to say thank you to anyone. We should all be thanking Val. <laughs> it's it's Val's world, and we all live in it. Trust me. Trust me. <laughs> Um, so Adam, just, what was your thoughts, mate? On the game, I thought it was pretty plain sailing. I, I backed Manchester United. I, I thought they'd win that quite comfortably. Although the scoreline was only 2-0 and it doesn't necessarily reflect that it was a comfortable win, I think from a performance perspective, there's not one Manchester United supporter that can look at that game and think they aren't a side that's on the up. And I think that's what exactly what Ten Hag's managed to do with Manchester United. And obviously the conversations that he's had with Sir Alex, the fact that He's now got Sir Alex's blessing, which, of course, for Manchester United is the creme de la creme, isn't it? Of all the managers that they've had in the past, it looks like they've finally got one that, that's kind of getting Manchester United back to where they used to be and the sort of side yeah. that, that, that that they used to be. And the players that he's got in at the moment, I know, I think Casemiro was one of his signings. I know there's a lot Oh, around. mate, what a fucking performance he had. What a player. A, 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 a incredible player. And I know I said this to you at the beginning, um, and I questioned it because I think it was you that mentioned to me about Fred and Casemiro alongside each other for Brazil. And I thought they need something that's going to work in that holding midfield partnership because it just wasn't at the moment with what they got. And they brought Casemiro in and I think it was you that said to me at the time, you watch Fred improve a hell of a lot. And I think, I think he actually has. And I dare yeah, say definitely. I was wrong about that one because uh, he's come on leaps and bounds since he's got that sort of partnership that he knows from playing in Brazil. And I suppose that sort of camaraderie is what you need to help make that backbone of the United side. They're very good defensively now. And when when it's called upon, De Gea is playing at a different level. Over the last couple of weeks, I've seen him pull off some outstanding saves that maybe, I don't know, a couple of months ago to to the beginning of the season, he probably wouldn't have been doing. So he's playing under confidence as well. And all I think about confidence. Team they are. It's all about confidence throughout the team. You know, we've just been talking about their title chances there and I, I don't really give them a ridiculous, you know, a ridiculously big chance. I've just had a quick look at the um, their, their results while you've been talking. And do you want to guess how many? So they've lost that one game against Arsenal. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say they've lost one 
in, and then I want you to complete the sentence. So in competitive fixtures, Adam, off the top of your head, Man United have lost one game in how many fixtures competitively? 23. Ooh, close, Dawson. Um, I think that's the only game they've lost since the World Cup. Um, and I can't think how many they lost before that, so I can't think how many games there's been since World Cup. I'll say, it. yeah, I'd say other than, I'd say about 20, yeah. 21. The last <sighs> game they lost was the 6th of November 2022 away at Aston Villa. Since then, uh, they played in the EFL Cup against Aston Villa after that, a couple of friendlies, and then the only game that they've lost was the Arsenal game 3-2 away. And, you know, Arsenal top of the league, you know, going great guns. So, the confidence you mentioned there, it must be absolutely sky high in the Manchester United dressing room at the moment. And, you know, like I say, I, I didn't give them a massive chance of winning the league, but, you know, losing one game in 21 fixtures, you know, are they going to be there or thereabouts? It's an interesting, very, very interesting and very exciting title race. The, the best one in, in quite a long time, I'd say. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing how it transpires. Yes. Tell you what, uh, it's going to be, I'm, I'm at the West Ham game on Wednesday, it's going to be absolutely electric, in it? Them presenting the AFL oh, Cup and... All that kind of stuff. It should be. Yeah. Uh, it should make for a great atmosphere and, and yeah. hopefully a win and another. Do you think you'll yeah. you'll cry? Uh, I get it's going to be weird. Maybe a bit too deep for what is meant to be a light-hearted sports podcast. But I get very overwhelmed by like noise and so you know if it is fucking electric and people are just going mad. Like, I don't. I won't. I don't think I'll cry, but I think I'll feel that lump in throat. Oh. I cried when we got relegated out of the football league. So did you? Yeah, but, you. Probably, but, probably crying thinking we're never getting back. <laughs> it looks that way at the minute. Yeah, I'm going to say on, on, on current evidence, you probably suggest that. Yeah, you yep. did right. Absolutely. Let's move on to uh, talk about the Premier League, which people actually want to listen to. Uh, so Manchester yep. United, we think unanimously will, at the worst case scenario, finish third place in the Premier League. I think that's very realistic and a good Looks shout. Way, yeah. So let's talk about their opposition. Newcastle now in fifth place after Tottenham's win at the weekend. Um, a very nice 2-0 win over Chelsea. Before we start talking about Chelsea Football Club's demise on the field, we'll talk about Tottenham and Newcastle fighting for fourth place. I can't see... Any other sides, and I'm going back on what I said a couple of weeks ago by saying I could see Brighton fighting for fourth place. Um, I'm, I think it is going to be between Tottenham and Newcastle. That makes the gap now four points with Newcastle having two games in hand over Tottenham. Do you still see and have you seen enough from that game against Manchester United to evidence that Newcastle are very realistically in with a chance of taking fourth place? Or do you think that there wasn't quite enough there? They're still going to have to work a little bit harder to make sure that, that they've got a side that's capable of making it into the Champions League. Um, from my perspective, I think Tottenham are still the favourites to finish in that in that top four spot, purely down to the experience of Antonio Conte, to be honest with you. Um, you look at their result against Chelsea at the weekend, and yes, Chelsea aren't doing well at all this season. I'm sure we'll discuss that briefly, but you know, Tottenham always find a way to win when it's important, and, and that seems to be you know Conte's sort of MO. When it's important, when the chips are down, they, they tend to you know grind out results. And they're not playing brilliant football. Son's not pulling up any trees this season, playing as well as he as he was. Um, you'd probably say the same thing about the uh, the lad on the on the other wing as well. Um, can't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, but Kulisevsky. yeah, the, the, Kulisevsky, That's it. Um, look a little bit shaky at the back. They're not. You know, Larice has been a little bit shaky as well. There's lots of missing pieces in that Spurs side, but. Ultimately, the main chess piece is, is is the king at the top of the board, and that's Antonio Conte. And I think he's got 
just that little bit of that cutting edge, that little bit of experience down the stretch that Eddie Howe unfortunately hasn't got. Um, and I did sort of say, you know, after the new owner bounce sort of wore off at Newcastle, that they would fall away a little bit. And, and I think that's what they will do. And a bit of a potentially bold prediction. Um, I can actually see Liverpool finishing above Newcastle this season because I really do think they'll fall away. So for me, I think it will be Spurs. And I think the X factor there is, is Antonio Conte. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'd go as far as saying that Liverpool will finish above them. Five points separates the two. I don't think Liverpool have been in the greatest sort of form themselves, but I'm going to stand by saying that Brighton will make it into Europe. I'm going to go back on saying that I think they'll make it into uh, the Champions League because I don't think that's going to happen now. I think I don't even think the most ardent Brighton supporter thought they were going to make it into Champions League, mate. So you were flying the flag for Brighton there more than anybody. I the think. thing is, if they win their games in hand, they're a point behind Tottenham. Why yeah, not? Because they're not. Because they're not going to win all the games and they're not you know what I mean it's like they're still in FA Cup they're going to have a bit of fixture congestion they've not got the biggest squad they've not been in ridiculously great form I mean last five games they've drawn two one two lost one so if they want to get into Europe or even Champions League like like you're saying you know they're going to have to keep that form up if not even better it and I can't see it mate can you? Europe yes Champions League Europe, yeah, no, I, I think know. Conference League. I think conference, conference League, realistic. But yeah, when you're talking about Champions League, mate, yeah, I'm not sure. So let's have a look at Chelsea then, in tenth place in the Premier League at the moment. When we talk about clubs in free fall, there is no bigger than Chelsea at the moment. One win in, I believe, their last 15 games. Um, Graham Potter's gone in there and he's done absolutely nothing. He's brought in a couple of players that don't seem to have improved the side at a all. A couple? He's brought in about 15. And they don't seem to have improved that side at all. And I was speaking to a Chelsea fan earlier today who said mm. to me he saw that Joao Felix scored their goal of the month and he looked at it and thought, that's a poor goal to be the goal of the month. Then realised it was only actually the only goal that they'd scored. Only goal they scored. In the entire mm. Of February, so they're score yeah. they're, they're poor on the goal scoring front defensively. I think they're too slow. I think they've got uh, Thiago and Koulibaly are very experienced players, and don't get me wrong, Thiago's still playing at a very high level. But I think against some of these players in the Premier League, you put them up against the Manchester United at the moment, and they're getting just just rolled over. It's too easy, and I think mm. defensively they've just not got enough enough about them. And I think the sign of Kukurea was an absolute waste. Yeah, I think the problem is with Chelsea is that it's just all a bit too much too soon. They've signed, you know, God knows how many players in, in the summer and, and then in January. They, they didn't give Tuchel very long. They, they brought Graham Potter in and it seems as though they're sticking with him. And, and, and I respect the fact that they're sticking with him because they've brought him in, they've made that decision and they're sticking by it. And it's not all sunshine and rainbows at the minute, but, you know, fingers crossed. They've signed quite a few young players on, on long-term deals. So, you know, fingers crossed they can pull it together for them. Um, it's difficult because I, I sort of agree with you, but but sort of not. Because Benoit Badashile, who they've brought in from Monaco, he's 21 years of age and he's a very, very good centre-back. From what I've seen of him, and again, I've not watched the, the ridiculous amount of Monaco in the past couple of years, but he, he, he seems quick, he seems decent on the ball, he seems like a really composed defender. Um, I think he'll go places. You then look at Mudrick, who they've brought in, who was unbelievable for Shakhtar Donetsk before he left. Enzo Fernandez, I think he got you know the young player of the tournament or, or up there for young player of the tournament in, in the World Cup. So 
they've got the chess pieces, they've got the right players, but they've got the players, too many of them in the same positions and too many of them in the same places. I think everybody at the start of the season or looking at Chelsea's squad, they all thought the same thing. They thought, right, Lukaku's gone. They need an out-and-out striker who can put the ball in the back of the net and who can, you know, cause problems to defences. And they've not done that. Kai Havertz is not a striker. He's proved that time and time again. So, yes, they've invested heavily into the squad. Yes, they've got some fantastic young talent that I think Graham Potter, to be fair, will be able to develop. But in my opinion, they've not strengthened in the correct areas of the pitch. They needed a wing-back because Rhys James has been in and out with injury. They needed a striker. They needed those two positions really, really badly. And unfortunately, they didn't address those problems. So it doesn't surprise me massively that Chelsea are in the position that they're in. But I think they'll stick with Potter. I think that's the right decision. You know, they're not going to get relegated. So keep them to the end of the season. And then, you know, I'm, I'm sure they'll, they'll you know, look at the cards that they've been dealt at the start of next season and go from there. But it's, um, it's not looking good for Chelsea at the moment. Something's got to give. They're currently closer to relegation than they are to the Champions League, which I'm not I'm not saying that means they're going to get relegated or they're going to be in a relegation fight, but that speaks volumes of just how bad Chelsea have been as of late. And I think a lot of the points you just made there, when we're talking about the transfers in January and how Chelsea were just throwing money ridiculously at players, it's like you just said then, they haven't addressed the correct needs. They haven't brought in the correct personnel to address those needs either. No, oh, and that's, that's what you do, isn't it? You know, you think... I'm sure there are football manager players in the uh, <laughs> amongst our listener base uh, and shout out to you if you are. But, you know, that's the first thing you do when you're a, a football manager, whether it be virtually or in real life. You look at your team sheet, you look at your squad, you look at the depth, you look at your deficiencies, you look at who's going out and then you you make a decision as to, as to who you need to bring in. You know, we're a little bit thin at right back, let's bring, you know, a right back in. We're a little bit thin at centre midfield, let's bring a decent centre midfielder in. Then if you've got enough money and you've got enough time, you can strengthen and you can bold in other positions. But it seems like Chelsea are just all backwards. And is it Todd Bowley coming in, buying the club and not getting a sporting director in situ straight away and just throwing money at it? It looks that way. So what Chelsea need to do more more than anything else is really, really prioritise what they need. Get a, a, I think they've got a new sporting director in place. Give him time in this next transfer window to sign the right players, get the players that they're not going to be playing out the door because it's not good for them to just be sat on the bench and just watching. And give Graham Potter an opportunity to, you know, be able to pick a best eleven, you know, and stick with it and hopefully get some consistency. Okay, lads, let's move on to discuss the lock-in results. Skin, you've got them with you. I have, mate, yes. Uh, Kemp, first of all, I'd like to thank you for for taking the lead on this for the last couple of weeks as I've I've missed a couple of the Monday shows. Um... And to be honest, I wouldn't mind you taking the lead on it again because for the second straight week, I've I've had a bit of a shitter. So, uh, oh. we'll go through the locks first. I had Burnley, who won um, quite comfortably in the end, didn't they, Kemp? They, 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 they went out to a, quite an early 3-0 lead and yeah. got comfortable. They did, which is upsetting. It's not surprising, but I was just hoping that my man Neil Warnock could pull off a bit of a miracle there, but... Yeah, they're, they're definitely going to win the league, aren't they? They're a pretty good side, so we're, let's not begrudge them of a, of a comfortable win at home. That's it. Aggie, you had Wrexham, who, uh, again, relatively comfortable um, and had the door swung wide open in the National League title race uh, after Kemp's choice, Notts County, lost at home against Dagenham and Redbridge in the in the Saturday late game. So, yeah, Kemp, 
a bit of a tough one for you there, mate, but not you out in the last man of standing. Not you, well, I've got you an incorrect answer on the lock. I mentioned it in the preview show that you had a lot a lot at stake with Notts County and, and they let you down, mate. Yeah, and I thought it was going to be a fairly safe bet. I think we discussed it on the preview show. I think in the reverse fixture, they um, they absolutely, well, they, they, they beat Dagenham and Bradbridge away from home in the reverse fixture, I think it was. Um, and, and I think they beat them quite comfortably from what I remember. So, yeah, it's disappointing, but hey, that such is life, um, and 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 such is uh, such is the listener locking. So we go again. New manager Ooh, syndrome, mate. isn't it, for Dagenham? It Must is. Been, yeah. yeah, it is. But like I say, you know, I, I didn't think they were going to fall to Dagenham, who would be mid-table, and Notts County have been, you know, running away with it with Wrexham, especially when I've just seen the result. You know, in the reverse fixture away at Dagenham and Redbridge in September, they beat them five 0 So, hey, how we go again? Yeah, and, and Aggie, just a quick comment from you, mate. As we mentioned there, Wrexham winning, Notts County losing, swinging the door wide open in the title race. You boys are, are facing Chesterfield, uh, sorry, are facing Wrexham midweek. You, you mentioned it yourself recently, sort of four to six weeks ago, Chesterfield were right in the mix in that title race or at least the automatic uh, playoff, or the first round bye playoff spot, should I say. Um, and it's all fell to pieces. You mentioned earlier, no winning nine, that you're about 30 points off of Notts County out of what seems like absolutely nowhere. Teams getting booed off at full time after losing at home against teams that they were battering six months ago. You've got players arguing with fans and and all sorts. Just a, a little quick one while we're on, you know, we're focused on the top of the National League. What's happening at the minute, mate, down at uh, the old technique? Just no unity between the players and, and the fans. Everyone were pulling in the same direction at the beginning of the season. In poor Cook, we trust everything else that comes along with it. Playing nice football, 4 2 3 1. But in a similar sort of situation to what happened last time we had Paul Cook, people have sussed out the 4-2-3-1, realised how to, to battle it. Of course, Liam Mandeville and Armando Dobra, the two focal points for us. Shimanga leaves, we've got no goal scorer. And everyone knows how to battle it and we've got no plan B. And as a manager, you need to have a plan B there so that if your first one doesn't work, you've got an effective way around it to make sure that you are competitive. And we don't have that at the moment. We're trying to play passing football with, with footballers that don't know how to pass. Ouch. Ouch, indeed. On to the scorers, then. Call it Langstaff, lads. I think, I think I've picked him three times this season and he's not scored. I think they're the only three games this season he's not scored, which Charlie is when Austin I've picked syndrome. him. Yeah, Charlie Austin syndrome. So, yeah, can't Same believe me, it. I, I feel you. Yeah, absolutely heartbreaking. Um, Kemp, you picked Paul Mullen, who, you know, he's up there with you, Erling Harlands and Langstaff, for the most part, of who you can be most confident are going to bag. Um, and Aggie, I've saved you till last, mate, because you picked Ollie Watkins for Aston yes. Villa away at Everton. He was a three-to-one shot. So taking out Jordan Henderson for England because we weren't recording and, and keeping our results. <laughs> that is the uh, that is the highest priced um, scorer is pick uh, of, of the year so far, mate. Oh, so I, I thought like I'd that. just give you a little mention there. Three to one. Thank you. Uh, massive well done, mate. Before you. you do move on to the wild cards, Adam, what was the thought process behind that? Uh, picking Ollie Watkins, he scored mm. in his last four consecutive games, including against Manchester City and Arsenal. Now scoring against Everton, who are... I know Sean Dyche builds his sides very strong defensively, but I think with the effort that Aston Villa put in from an attacking perspective, with what Unai Emery's got him doing, I think eventually that wall was going to break, and it did. Be fair, mate. If, if, they, uh, if they give away penalties on Ollie Watkins, the penalty taker for Villa, then... 
makes it a little bit easier, doesn't it? But I don't know what you mean, mate. I don't know what you mean. Form. Yeah, but yeah, Macaulay yeah. Langstaff's penalty taker for Notts County. Mullen is for Wrexham. You see the penalty takers. So nice fucking weekend, Macaulay Langstaff. For a fucking prick. Would have been nice, wouldn't it? Would have been nice. On to the wild cards. I had Southampton, who were away at Leeds, and they lost 1-0, so that didn't come in. Absolutely gutted, considering the fact that uh, my backup was Sutton, and they won 2-0, so really fuming about that. I mentioned when we were doing the picks on the preview show that my, my top two are available, but I'm going to go with my first choice, and uh, unfortunately it didn't pay off. Aggie, you took Kemp's pick, which were Millwall, and they've continued their fine form. They've uh, they've been successful in quite a few wildcard picks lately, and I'm starting to think at what point are they going to land in the lock section with the uh, with the form they're in. I'm sure it won't be too long. Um, and Kemp, you you scrambled a little bit to look for that second pick, and you went with Barnsley to beat Derby. And that that was uh, a much more comfortable win than a lot of people were expecting, weren't it? It was. I, I thought obviously I thought Barnsley were going to win that game. Um, with the form that they've been on and with the lack of form that Derby have been on. But, yeah, I, I think I... Um, I can't remember when it was. I think I got in the car uh, to come away from golf or something and I'd seen the result. And Oh, no, it wasn't. It was it was Saturday, weren't it? But, yeah, I, I got yeah. in the car and I was listening to the to the scores and I think it was two or three up um, that, that Barnsley were. And, uh, yeah, I was quite happy with that, as you can imagine. So, yeah, I didn't expect the 4-1, but... Fuck it, I expected the win and that's what we got, so we'll take it. Yeah, definitely, mate. And uh, continues your ridiculously fine form in the wild cards. Clockwork, I think that's like clockwork. Yeah, I think that puts you at six out of eight for the season. So, uh, sorry for the year so far, which is well, it's, it's pretty outrageous, isn't it? But uh, looking forward to seeing who you pick this week. So overall. That puts me one out of three, which is absolutely killing my uh, fantastic, what, 74% score or whatever it was a couple of weeks ago. I've now gone back to back on one out of three, which puts me in the low 60s. And that just shows how quickly you can turn it around, make it or kill it. Kemp, you got two out of three, mate. So another semi-decent week for you. And then Aggie, back to back weeks, mate. For all the stick we've given you so far this year, you seem to be uh, seem to be on the rampage to recover and uh, I've gone three out of three for the uh, for the second week running. Any words on that, mate, in your, in your current fine form? I was hustling you all. <laughs> oh, OK. That's it. a long way to, to go, mate. Di- Pressure seems to have made a diamond in that respect. Nah, it's just, <laughs> just funny what happens, isn't it, when you do your research and you put the time aside to make sure that you've got everything <laughs> on point and you've got your back Don't fucking and... lie. You were doing that all season. Yeah, all right. <laughs> he's right he's right I were it's just an excuse isn't it no it's good mate three out of three but it's it's only as good as the next one isn't it that's it mate that's it if you uh, if you blank this this upcoming weekend then I'm sure we look forward to getting back to usual business you've just mentioned the stats stick. there though am I still last surely I'm not last overall now well, do, do, do you want to go through it do you want me to reveal the stats I just like to, yeah go for it I just don't want to be last anymore Okay, well, I'll save the overall loaded sports score for when we get uh, into Paul's results. But I am currently still top, and it is just with 62%. Sam is in second with 61%. Kemp is third with 57%. And Aggie, you are fourth with 52%. But, well, I've I've dropped a good 10 12% in the last two weeks. So, in two weeks' time, that could be completely flipped on its head. Yeah, two weeks ago, I was on about 36%. So, I'll take that. Yeah. There you go, mate. That's uh, exactly as I said there. It can change either way very, very quickly. But yeah, um, is what it is. But I'll get into the other overall in just a second. On to the lock-in. 
Paul joined us. He, he was going in a bit blind and he, he kind of put pretty much all his eggs in the basket that was Manchester United. His luck was Manchester United to win within 90 minutes and they did, as we've discussed. He had Marcus Rashford to score, which, as again, we discussed, it's been a bit backwards and forwards and he was given it and then at half-time it was credited as an own goal and then today it's been uh, overturned to a Rashford goal. So, despite the controversy, as you said, Kent, it will go down in history as a Rashford goal, so we've got to give that as a tick. His wild card with Forrest, and he said that David Moyes was a dead man walking and if he'd lost that game, he was gone and all this kind of stuff, but they, they battered Forrest, to be fair. Uh, so, that is a cross there. He had Man United to win 3-0, which was very close, but not quite there. He had Leicester to lose 2-1 against Arsenal. So despite getting the correct winner and the correct goal or score difference, he didn't get the correct score. Uh, but he did get Tottenham to beat Chelsea 2-0, which he did on Super Sunday yesterday. So, lads, we have a new leader in the, uh, in the listener lock-in. Paul Martin, three out of six. It's about bloody time. It's yeah, about time, son. Well, it wasn't a very, it wasn't a ridiculous high bar, but bloody hell, mate, you've uh, you've done well there getting the score prediction correct, and uh, yeah, it's going to be uh, going to be difficult for the rest of the boys that's coming on, the boys and girls that's coming on to uh, to live up to that. So three out of six, well done, Paul. It is, and uh, we're not even halfway through yet, so there is a long way to go and a long a lot of opportunities for that to be tied or beaten. But in our eighth week. That is the first time that someone has landed a scorer and it has come with a little bit of controversy. So um, we've got Shaf, Kemp, your mate, joining us this upcoming week. He is an Arsenal yeah, fan and I'm he hoping is. he can uh, convincingly nail a scorer and potentially become the the first person to land a wild card because that hasn't been done yet. So what do you reckon? Do you think he's, he might be Arsenal home to Bournemouth? Do you think he might you know, stick with them as a lock or a scorer yeah, or do you think um, he'll avoid it? So he'll avoid that most definitely. He'll avoid it. Um, when it comes to scorers, he'll he'll uh, not scorers, correct score lines. He'll back Arsenal in that respect. But I, I do think that yeah, up, coming up to the weekend, he's very much an Arsenal fan that wants to kind of play it down until it's yeah. until the the medal's around the neck. So I yeah. can't see him picking them for his lock or any of any of their players for a scorer. But Shaft surprised me with the, with with a few donkey decisions before, so it will be the first time. But yeah, just just while we're on that subject of Shaft coming on this week, um, I think he's also going to be a, a little special guest on Kempi's Combat Corner as well, building up to this weekend's UFC action. So uh, yeah, keep your keep your ears to the ground for that one as well. Should be a, should be a good discussion. And Arsenal play Wednesday night. They're playing their game in hand at home to Everton. So if they win that, they'll be five points ahead of City going into the weekend. So. Regardless of that result, Arsenal and City would have played uh, the same amount of games and they'll either be two, three or five points ahead. So really looking forward to getting stuck into the conversation of the Premier League title race with him and get some thoughts from an Arsenal fan. Good timing to get an Arsenal fan on, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I did it on purpose, but yeah, it's what it is. But yeah, um, that then puts the loaded score average at 58% Sorry for the year so far. And the listener success climbed to 23% with Manchester United and Rashford selection. So still a very large gap. But again, plenty of time, as we've seen with our individual scores, for that to completely flip over the next few weeks. And it's uh, it's who's ahead at the end of the year that matters most. So we have plenty of time to turn it around. Certainly so. In just a few moments' time, we'll be back to discuss last Thursday's action of night four of the Darts Premier League that took place in Dublin and build up to this Thursday's action in Exeter.
Welcome back to episode 34 of Loaded Sport. We're now going to start talking about night four of the Darts Premier League and looking towards night five this Thursday evening. Uh, we'll start by discussing what took place last Thursday in Dublin. Kemp, your prediction, my prediction, faced off in the mm. final. Gerwin Price against Michael Van Gerwin. Um, mm. And it went so. the way of MVG. Oh, seven match starts. He missed seven match. My boy missed seven match darts. Yeah, I mean, we predicted when we saw the fixtures, Adam, on the on on the the, the last podcast on episode thirty three, that we thought Gerwin Price and Michael Van Gerwen would be in the final, the battle of the Gerwins, um, and and they were. Uh, but I was hoping Gerwin Price would win it, and he missed seven match darts to unfortunately not win it. So, like an arrow to my heart, but my boy got to the final, which is a few points on the board. And, um, yeah, disappointing, but we go again. I hope one day I'll find out what it's like to have a person you're predicting to get points on the board. <laughs> that could very much happen this Thursday as Peter Wright takes on Johnny Clayton in the quarterfinals in Exeter. So uh, we'll just have a look at some of the fixtures that are taking place. That is one of them. Uh, he will then face the winner of Vanderberg or Chris Doby. And then in the, if he gets to the final, he'll take on either Nathan Aspinall, who takes on Michael Smith in the quarterfinals, or Michael Van Gerwen, who takes on Gerwin Price in the quarterfinals in a repeat of week, uh, of night four's uh, final. So, looking at those fixtures, uh, Skin, we'll start with you. Who are you favouring to walk away with the points at the end of night five in Exeter? Tell you what, mate, we we could potentially be be looking at a, a sort of a, a bit of an underdog winner this week. Van Gerwen, Price, Aspinall, and Smith are in the top half of the draw, meaning that. Van Gerwen and Price, one of them's going out in the first round. Then you've got one of them against Aspinall and Smith in the semis, and again, one of them's going to go out. So you're looking at one of Van der Beer, Doby, Clayton or Peter Wright being in the final. So I, I think as much as the, the top half of the draw is favoured, I'm going to lean towards the, the lower half. And I'm gonna go with. Oh, I really don't know. I, I I do fancy picking a bit of a an underdog winner. It's just two. Do, do you? Does Peter Wright finally get you back on track, Aggie? Maybe. Who knows? You know what? I'm gonna go Johnny Clayton as uh, as the night five winner. He's got Peter Wright. Peter Wright hasn't won a game yet. Yeah, I, I fancy a bit of an underdog winner. You're gonna get different winners throughout the tournament. I think this is this is ripe and prime for that. So, Johnny Clayton for me this week. Still no game win for, uh, for Peter Wright then. Uh, Kemp, what, what's your thoughts heading into it? Yeah, I'm sort of inclined to agree with Dawson there in terms of a, a maybe a winner that, that we're not particularly expecting to uh, to come out with the win. It's just, again, a, a question as to, uh, as to who. I think I am going to go with a difficult one. I think I'm going to go with Dawson's man, Dimitri van der Berg. Oh, I did think about it, and I couldn't, you, I couldn't bring I know, myself. You can't bring yourself to do it. Yeah. yeah. No, I think Chris Doby in the first in, in the quarterfinal. I can see him. I can see him doing that. I do feel as though he's a maybe a small step up from Chris Doby as a, as a player right now. Um, so I think he'll win that one, and then Johnny Clayton and Peter Wright, as you mentioned, you know they are kind of not not the you know the lower end of the, the Premier League this season, but. Peter Wright, as you said, has not won a game, and, and Johnny Clayton's not been in, you know, on, on ridiculous fire recently either. So, yeah, I can see Dimitri van der Berg um, winning the night. Hopefully not. Hopefully, Gerwin Price does it for me. But 
yeah, Dimitri van der Berg, I think, is uh, is my pick for uh, for, the, for this Thursday's proceedings. Adam, what do you think? I'm going to back Peter Wright to finally get oh, on the board. <laughs> I think, it, 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 like you guys have said, the bottom half of the draw seems to be a bit favourable to one of those four guys, whereas the top half is, it's literally anybody's game, isn't it, really? I mean, you'd, you'd expect whoever makes it to the final out of those four to go on and win it, wouldn't you? And for me, I think Peter Wright needs to get himself back on track. He's not managed to win the Premier League before. It's one that's always eluded him. He's, he's always been there or thereabouts. And I think it's about time that he got himself back on track. And this is the exact time to do it with a, a bit of confidence behind him. Some, uh, I'm not going to say easy games because in the Premier League, there's never an easy game, but an easier selection of games than what he's been uh, faced with over the last uh, couple of weeks so far. So I'm going to back Peter Wright to finally get on the board and I uh, look forward to uh, discussing that with both of you next Monday when Peter Wright is still on a big back zero in just a few moments time we'll be back with another edition of Kempe's Combat Corner where we'll be discussing the action that took place this weekend in both the London O2 Arena and in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia Welcome back to episode 34 of Loaded Sport. It is now time for another edition of Kempi's Combat Corner. Kempi, take it away. Thank you very much. And it's been a, a bit of a strange weekend for combat sports, to be honest with you. Um, we, we, we previewed on, on Kempi's Combat Corner last time out, the UFC, uh, Ryan Spann versus Krilov this weekend in the UFC. That didn't happen. Um, Krilov pulled out at the very last minute with an injury. So so that, that, that uh, main event didn't happen there. Um, nothing particularly noteworthy on the UFC card to discuss on the back of that. Um, there was also a couple of boxing matches, if if you want to call them boxing matches, uh, that took place this weekend. Uh, one of them, as Adams mentioned, taking place at London's O2 Arena, um, not quite at capacity, which we'll discuss in a second. <laughs> and also uh, a, a fight that took place um, in, in in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, where. I never thought I'd say this, but a Jake Paul fight um, was more reminiscent of an actual boxing match than a Floyd Mayweather fight. So we'll start with TBE. We'll start with Floyd Money Mayweather, um, 46 years old, and he took on the uh, the Joker, Aaron Chalmers of Geordie Shaw fame um, in an exhibition boxing match at the O2 Arena on, the, on Saturday night. Dawson, I don't think you caught this one. Um, but I know we were going back and forth on Messenger about the, the lack of people that maybe turned up for, for the fight and uh, the, the difficulty they had, um, I suppose, yeah, maybe marketing that fight or getting people involved. I don't even think we actually paid any attention to it on Kempi's Combat Corner last time out. So what are your thoughts, I mean, maybe more generally on, on Floyd Mayweather's sort of exhibition fights that he's, he's been on recently in this this you know, a worldwide more press tour than an actual fight than anything else. What what do you make of it all? Do you think he's ruining his legacy or do you think it's a good way to you know, make a cheap book? You said there, you don't know if I caught it. And full disclosure, I had absolutely no idea 
that it was happening until pictures yeah. started circulating on social media of the uh, <laughs> the empty seats that adorned the O2 Arena. So, well, let yeah. me give you an idea, and I'll not I'll not um, give this paper any credit for what they've said because they're they're scumbags. But um, Floyd, so this is quoting from a newspaper. Floyd Mayweather fought for the first time on British soil, even if nobody saw it. So that kind of backs up what you've just mentioned there. So so carry on. Which which is crazy in itself. Like you, you you sort of closing question there was my thoughts on the exhibition fights and what it means to his legacy. And I I personally don't see a problem with it. If he's if he's going to go around the world and and fight different kind of people on different levels, like it's an exhibition fight. No one's getting hurt in terms of the the overall sports legacy. I wouldn't say from a personal opinion. It's a way for him to make money, which I don't think he needs, but it is what it is, and it's an opportunity for people that I'm sure have looked up to Floyd Mayweather being in in that in that industry. So, in terms of the overall exhibition fights and the, what it means to his legacy, I personally don't see any issue with that. But yeah, for for him to fight on British soil, yes, it's an exhibition fight. Yes, it's against someone that I would imagine I'd need, you know no sort of chance of beating him or whatever, but. You'd have, you'd have thought at least some people would have turned up, but I don't. I don't know if you've got a sort of an official capacity number in front of you, Kent. But it looked like nobody was there. Which no, yeah, and I'm, I'm trying to find one. I don't think there is. I don't think there is an official one that's been released. Maybe that whether that's because it's just in a very embarrassing figure or what. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, before well, something's main... got to have gone wrong from a marketing perspective, surely, because yeah. again. O2 Arena is is the the biggest arena, or what I think it's top three biggest arenas 20, in the UK. 20, yeah, twenty thousand. So it looked like there was two, like, it, well, I know this is an exaggeration, but it looked like there was about fifty four people there. Like, surely you can get five thousand in that for the fact that, it, you know, it's. It's Floyd Mayweather fighting an exhibition in a country that he's never fought in before, one that's got such a boxing legacy as well. It's so strange, but I think it ended in a no contest when it went to a draw. What happened there with, yeah, the, with so the finish? Because it's an exhibition, um, it wasn't a scored exhibition bout. Oh, okay, so it doesn't so count for There's no winners or losers or anything like that. It's just, it's just you know, pity pattying and it's more just a bit of a, a glorified sparring session, really, more than anything else. Fair. Um, yeah, and before we do go on to the fight, because I was one of the unlucky people to to have been watching it, um, you know the stuff that you do for Kempi's Combat Corner on Lower Sport, <laughs> that you do, you know, it's, it's a heavy burden being a journalist these days. But yeah, it it it, it was a very 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 strange um, event, as you mentioned there, O2 Arena, twenty thousand capacity, especially when there's boxing on because you've got floor seats. Um, nobody knew it was happening. And then when it happened, nobody turned up. And it, it, it just seemed like it was just, just really, really weird. It, it was a bit all over the place. The card was a bit all over the place. The vast majority of the fights were, you know, I want to say influencer boxing, but I think the co-main event was between two ladies who were American social media, not even social media, I think reality TV stars. Um, and the you know one of the ladies um, after the first round ended actually laid on the canvas between rounds um, and didn't want to get up. Uh, she she ended up getting up and carrying on with the fight, but it was just a very very strange event. Um, I, put a gun to my head now. I think probably it would be fair to say nice. 
that, that that's that's how the event went down. Um, I think it'd be fair to say between maybe fifteen hundred people in the arena oh, at geez. best. At best, I think. Again, I might be wrong. It might be a little bit more than that, but yeah, it's 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 a real failure on the part of whoever was promoting the show because I actually don't know who was promoting the show. Um, Floyd will have been paid. You know, he's too smart of a businessman at this time in his career to. To, to, to lose out on money because of you know poor ticket sales it's not his fault that it's not being promoted as well as as well as it should have been it's not his job ultimately he's coming in and he's you know putting on a bit of a show for the fans and to be quite honest with you he did you know he, he, yes he's 46 years of age but there's still a little bit of the old Floyd Floyd in there you know like I say I watched the fight and he's still that that slip and that counter right hand that Floyd's thrown and he's he's been so notorious for in his in his fighting career, um, it's still there. The movement's still there. The boxing IQ's still there. He was doing some spinny moves and talking to the crowd and talking to Aaron Chalmers's corner, and it was all very very entertaining from Floyd's perspective. Um, Aaron Chalmers didn't really do anything. It, we weren't expecting him to do anything. He's not a boxer. He's had a few MMA fights, but a very, very low level. Um, and again, it, it was just an exhibition for Floyd, I suppose, to you know give the UK fans a show, even if only you know a couple of thousand turned up. So, a very, very strange event. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm sure Floyd will be paid fairly handsomely, and he'll be on his on his way back, if not already back in Las Vegas now, um, reaping it the rewards of 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 his of his fight. So. Dawson, a quick question for you before we move on to the other um, strange event that took place over the weekend. If you had your pick of anybody in the influencer or celebrity world for Floyd Mayweather to have an exhibition bout against next, who would you pick and why? Should I care if it's an exhibition match and it's going to count for nothing? Not really. It doesn't really matter, I suppose. It's just, okay. Who would you like to see Floyd May- Mayweather in the ring with, I guess? Um... True, Jordy. <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? It yeah. would, yeah. It, it, it would be interesting because I feel like if if True Jordy caught him, <laughs> you know, like a big there you bear, go. There you, um, go. you care now, don't you? Ah, uh, yeah, you've got me invested. You've done a better job of selling this fight than uh, than the than whoever the promoter was for the last one. So, yeah, um, if, if for all your boxing promotional needs. I think it's uh, Ben Dawson at gmail.com. I don't know if that's the right email address, It's guys, absolutely so. not, mate, but whoever's got it is in for a right job off there over the next he few is, days. He is. He's in for a big payday, that Mr. Ben Dawson. So we'll move on to the uh, the other um, fairly strange boxing event that took place over the re- weekend. It was based in Saudi Arabia, so a little bit further afield than Floyd Mayweather boxing in, uh, in sunny London where we saw Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury. And there's been a quite a lot of anticipation for this for this card and for this fight for, for quite a few weeks. But even I was surprised in the build-up to the fight, you know, the Thursday, the Friday and the Saturday, just how much this fight was getting attention on social media, on mainstream, you know, outlets. It was it really, really got quite a lot of attention. Um, definitely promoted better than the Mayweather event Dawson yeah well it's been two years in the making and it? it should have happened twice already and then has, has been canned for for whatever reason so yeah I, I, we spoke about it in the preview show didn't we and, and I said that I wasn't necessarily interested in the fight itself but I was intrigued as to the fallout after the fight depending on, on what way the fight went and 
Yeah, it was for me personally watching it. Uh, it was a relatively comfortable Fury win. When the first judges' scorecard came out with it being in Jake Paul's favour, I thought, here we go. Second one's going to be Fury. Third one's going to be a draw, and we're going to end up having it all over again. So, absolutely no idea what fight the. Uh, I think I think it was the United States judge, weren't it? Which I suppose says a little bit, but absolutely no idea how you can score that in Jake Paul's favour. But yeah, Tommy Fury coming out with a split decision victory. He said after that if Jake Paul wants to fight again, that he can. A lot of people giving Tommy Fury stick for you know being quite emotional in the post match, but. I can see why he would be overwhelmed by the situation. It's There's been a lot of pressure, a lot of spotlight on this over the last two years. There's a lot going on in his personal life with the recent birth of his of his daughter. You know, it must be a massive weight off his shoulders because the pressure was on him. Jake Paul really didn't have that much pressure on him in terms of what happens next because, you know, he is an influencer. He's not a pro boxer. He's just getting into the game. His fights before were fixed allegedly and all this kind of stuff which I personally didn't believe as I mentioned but it, you know it was kind of a it was furious to lose more than anything with him officially being a pro boxer and from the family that he comes from so I can I, I, you know everyone online is going to have a bit of stick for, for the sake of giving a stick but I can see why that why that moment it, it would have been overwhelming and I can imagine such a massive relief for him to come away with the victory so yeah I suppose this is the I said about the intrigue of what happens next. I don't know. Who does Jake Paul now fight? What does Tommy Fury now? Does this really does this push him on in terms of his pro boxing career? He's got a lot of outside ventures, as we know, in terms of reality TV and that side of it. So I suppose this was the result that would give me less intrigue of what happens next. So there would have been much more of a conversation had the had Jake Paul actually won. So yeah. Mm. Do they fight again? They've said they have. Will I care next time? Not particularly. So yeah, from your what are your thoughts as as a boxing purist and and what it means to both their futures in the in the fighting game. Yeah, I mean neither of them are going to be world champion, you know, you, ever in in any in any regard. Um, neither of them. I mean, only Tommy Fury kind of counts towards this one, but you know he's not going to be the British champion. He's not going to be Lonsdale belt holder. He's not at that level, and he never will be. And for me, though, he did pleasantly surprise me, Tommy Fury. I think he boxed quite well. I've, I've seen a few of his fights before. He's, he's a novice boxer. He has been doing it a long, long time. But like you mentioned there, he has got other ventures. He went into Love Island for a little bit. You know, he's, he's done a bit of modelling, I think, as well. And you can't say you blame him because he's a bloody lovely looking man. But He looked well, to be fair, didn't he? Like, no, he did. you know, all, yeah, he all sort of levels of what the fight was. But yeah, yeah, he, he looked in shape. And I know he always has, yeah. like, like you said, but... Yeah, he always looks well, and he always he always does okay. But you know, he's he's not he's never going to be like I say a British champion. He's never going to be a, a fantastic professional boxer. He's a novice boxer who's learning his trade. Um, but I look at it from a financial perspective, and ultimately, that's what combat sports you know it is. It's it's prize fighting. There's not that many people that would probably do it for free. Um, apart from maybe the Diaz brothers, because they probably already do do it for free on a Saturday night. But, yeah. yeah, for me, the smart move for Tommy Fury actually would be a rematch with Jake Paul because he's going to be guaranteed a lot of money again. He's not going to get the same amount of money for any other fight, really. And yeah, then, true. you know, if he does beat Jake Paul, then, you know, can he go on and fight KSI in a, in a big event? You know, can they build that to, to, a, to a big event that that, that that draw a lot of eyes? And Tommy Fury really, to, to build a business, to build, you know, he could really be the 
the lead influencer boxer. You know, I think in a lot of people's eyes, Jake Paul was that lead influencer boxer at, to, to this point, and and Tommy Fury has beaten him. So he's got a couple of different options now. Tommy Fury, he can either go down the the professional boxing route where he can fight some, you know, maybe a couple of journeymen and then maybe a, a, a couple of contenders, maybe a ranked contender, and then maybe go for the Lonsdale belt, the, the British Championship or the Commonwealth belt and see where it goes from there. But for me, financially, and again, it's all about price fighting, it would make more sense if I was Tommy Fury to try and get that rematch, try and knock Jake Paul out, something that he couldn't do this time, um, and maybe go down that, down that influencer side of things because he's going to make a, a boatload more money and then you know, retire by the time he's 30 or mid-30s and, and sort of sail off into the sunset, as it were. So... I'm delighted for Tommy Fury. I wanted him to win the fight. Um, I, I like the Furies. I have got time for them. They are a bit wappy at times, especially John. Uh, but but I like the personalities, and I, I like you know they've done good for boxing. I think overall. So happy that he won, and, and delighted for him. And and I couldn't agree with you more there, where people are giving him stick for being emotional. I mean, you know, come on, you know, you, a lot of people giving him stick have probably never been in a fight in their lives. So there's a lot that goes into it. Um, I've, I've been in and around training camps. There's a lot, a lot that goes into it. And I think for the first time in Tommy Fury's career, you know, he had a really, really tough camp, worked really, really hard uh, and, and saw the fruits of his labour at, at the end of the night. So all credit to him. He, he boxed pretty well, I think. Jake Paul was a little bit sluggish. Do I believe his excuses about being sick and having an injured arm? You know, probably yeah. not. He didn't mention anything in the build-up. So, you know, sort of, shut up about that one but to be fair he didn't use it as an excuse he just sort of said you know I'm not using it as an excuse but that sort of I feel like I deserve to give you an explanation so yeah I think he boxed well and, and like you say there Dawson <clears throat> I think he won it by three rounds comfortably which a couple of the judges had which was which was good but yeah my, my biggest fear going into that was um, exactly what you just mentioned there that they would find a way to to give it a draw uh, and suck us all back into uh, to a second fight, which I think might happen anyway. Um, but I'm glad the right man won on the night and, and Tommy Fiore comes away with it. So, going to your head then, Dawson. I know you say you can't quite see where it's going to go. Sort of three options then, I'd say. Um, does Tommy Fiore, A, fight a normal professional boxer and try and work his way up the rankings, maybe on the British scene for a little, for a little while, maybe on a Tyson Fiore undercard? Does he, B, rematch Jake Paul or does he see fight another another influencer for example KSI or Logan Paul uh, B then C uh, you okay. completely and could not disagree with your point about what he should do from a business perspective I think with the level that he would get at in a professional setting it's you know it's not going to create a huge amount of wealth so yeah it, it, the, the move I think in an, in an LA against Jake Paul and then you set up the fight against the KSI who Jake Paul was going to call out. That was the rumour he was going to call him out had he beat Tommy Fury. Um, Logan, I think, is preoccupied with, with the wrestling side at the moment, isn't he? So I definitely think that there's more money to be made in a Jake Paul rematch in LA and then a KSI at, say, an O2 arena or something like that than there would be for him to spend the next sort of four, five years fighting the odd journeyman here and there on an undercard somewhere. So... He's never going to headline a fight against another professional boxer at the level that he's currently at, but he certainly will make a lot of money and get a lot of buyers by carrying on the, the sort of the, the way he's going at the moment. And like you said, don't blame him whatsoever. Why not? Yeah, and you know, could it could he potentially down the line if he rematches Jake Paul, beats him, you know, fights KSI, beats him, 
could he maybe headline his own influencer boxing show against somebody different, an up-and-comer or something like that, and make a little bit of money maybe on the... Um, I know KSI's got his organisation, Misfits Boxing, which tends to be kind of the YouTube boxing side of things. So it would be very interesting to see where his career develops. Uh, delighted for him, but as we've both sort of said there, and I think we both agree, and I think the vast majority of people would agree, um, it's all about prize fighting. An influencer boxer does tend to pay a little bit more than your, your, your standard Bethnal Green, um, you know, yeah. contender versus contender. Uh, fighting your way towards the uh, the British or the European or Commonwealth Championship. So, uh, an interesting weekend of fights on uh, Kempi's Combat Corner. Not not the traditional fights that we would be covering um, this this weekend, but for injury reasons and for you know, scheduling reasons, um, you know, Kempi's Combat Corner took a little bit of a turn into the influencer boxing scene. But have no fear because this weekend coming up, it is well. The return of um, arguably the greatest mixed martial arts fighter of all time. It's John Jones making his heavyweight debut for the undisputed heavyweight championship of the world against Cyril Garn. And as I mentioned on Friday's episode of Logan Sport and of Kempi's Combat Corner, we will have Joseph Shafi joining us to preview uh, UFC 285. So thank you for, for joining me again today, Dawson, on Kempi's Combat Corner. Um, and we'll see you all later in the week. Adam. Cheers, lads. In just a few moments' time, we'll be back to discuss the latest in the Six Nations. Welcome back to episode 34 of Loaded Sport. We're now going to start talking about the Six Nations. We are now finally three games underway. There's no games this weekend, so we'll just discuss what happened this past weekend gone, including Scotland against France. Now, when we spoke about this on Thursday, we spoke about how it was a chance for Scotland to really prove what they were about against one of the toughest sides in the Six Nations this year. Now, in a couple of weeks' time, they'll be taking on Ireland. Let's just look at how things unfolded against Scotland. It was against uh, France, sorry. It wasn't the greatest of performances from Scotland. They really struggled to get things going to begin with. Uh, dropped down by a, a couple of scores to begin with. At half-time, we're trailing 22-7. Turned things back up in the second half, but France just had too much quality and in the end walked away with the points. So, Skin, we'll, uh, we'll come to you first of all. I know you, was, you both said France, didn't you, to win this game? Yes, I, uh, I went 3-4-3 three, three this weekend uh, with my predictions. Really closes up the, the gap in the middle of the uh, middle of the table. Scotland, England, France all now tied on 10 points. Ireland running away with it. And me and then Kemp said it as well in the preview show. Ireland are now looking on track for that Grand Slam, which is... Uh, ultimately the biggest prize you can get in the Six Nations, which is not only winning it, but winning it by winning every single game. So, yeah, they're, they're looking on absolute fire. Similar to uh, similar to Burnley in the Championship, they've scored the most points so far over the three games and they've, they've conceded the least amount of points too. So, yeah, Scotland and France, yes, France got the win and got their, their campaign back on track, but are they going to catch Ireland? I can't see it in the second half of the uh, second half of the tournament. Now that you think it's game over, I know we said when Ireland took on France that you thought whoever was going to win it, win that game, was going to go on and win the entire Six Nations. You're even more convinced now that not just are Ireland going to win it, but they're going to walk away without without a loss, like you say, with a Grand Slam. Are you that convinced? 
Yeah, it's, it's game over as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, OK, fair enough. Um, we'll look back onto Saturday then. Italy took on Ireland. Again, like you've just said, a formality that Ireland walk away with the win against an Italy side that are in second bottom position with just one point. So, Kemp, we'll come to you for this one as Ireland just continue their dominance. Yeah, and again, we, we predicted it at the start of the Six Nations that Ireland were, were, were likely to be the team that, that would win. Um, if you're going to pick a fixture or a, 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 a game where you're going to sort of put your mortgage on Ireland winning in the Six Nations, it's going to be against Italy, who, again, as we've tended to say, have been the whipping boys um, of the competition in the past few years. Um, it started fairly... You know, strange, strangely, I suppose, Italy went 7-5 up in the first sort of 10-15 uh, minutes. Um, but then uh, Ireland um, sort of ran away with it in the second, uh, so, sort of, you know, it were coming up to half-time and in the second half. Um, and as you say, they, they, they came out fairly comfortable winners in the end. I think they won 34-20 in the end, did Ireland. So... Um, yeah, it's 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 a good result for them. It's not unexpected, um, but you know the Grand Slam looks very much on the table. They've got Scotland next, who went down against France, and um, yeah, I, I think Ireland are, are quite quite steady on track for that Grand Slam and, and to lift the Six Nations this year. So, best of luck to them, and uh, happy that my prediction is going to be coming in on this one. Yep, and uh, England beating Wales twenty to ten now. It might be a bit false to be able to say that England are starting to pick things up a little bit under new management, considering the fact that the two games that they've won, albeit back-to-back, were against Wales and Italy, the two lowest-ranked sides in the Six Nations, and like you've already referred to them, Kemp, as the whipping boys. So where do you think the, the limit is for England this Six Nations? Well, I'll tell you what. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll interrupt you there, and I'll, I'll, I'll throw that question right back to you, because I've discussed one game, Dawson has discussed one game, and now you can discuss one game. So discuss the England-Wales game and then you tell me where you think that the ceiling is for England this, this, this year in the Six Nations. I see what you've done there. Thank you very much. Um, yes, well, it, isn't it? We beat, we beat Wales, um, the side that have been poor from the very beginning. A lot of people expected them to finish bottom. You, you've already referred to them as the whipping boys over the last couple of weeks when we've discussed about it. England are starting to get things into some sort of uh, consistency. But having beaten the two worst sides in the Six Nations, I'm, I'm still remaining slightly pessimistic. When we started talking about this, Sam mentioned about how bringing in new management in time for the Six Nations might be quite tough for England to be able to, to really do anything this year, maybe in, in the next tournament. But um, at the moment, I think probably going to finish fourth place. I think that, that Wales and Italy are in a league of their own in it for the wrong reasons. And I think other than that, we're just going to lose to every other side that's in there. And I don't think we've been good enough so far to, 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 to beat the likes of Ireland, Scotland um, and France. Who Again, France and Ireland, we said at the very beginning, are two sides that are above and beyond this year. Yeah, it seems like we're very much in the middle of the pack. It does seem like England are the average team in the tournament. And then we've got you know two extremely poor teams below us in... Uh, Wales and and um, Italy, and then above us, we've you know, and Scotland as well have been fairly poor to be fair, um, and then Wales and uh, and then France and uh, Ireland ahead of us, and it seems like it's kind of split into into three. It seems like um, Ireland and France sort of up the top in terms of the upper echelons of the teams in the competition this season, with Ireland stretching stretching you know away, 
um, England and Scotland sort of in the middle and then Italy and, and Wales uh, sort of propping up the table. So going to be interesting going into the uh, second half, Six Nations um, coming up in a couple of weeks' time. So uh, we'll see how we get on and see if it, Ireland can get that Grand Slam and if England can hopefully spoil their uh, spoil their party and, uh, and maybe make something of it in the second half of the tournament. Yeah, great statement. If England could, we'll uh, discuss that as it unfolds in the next couple of weeks. In just a few moments' time, finally, there's some more NFL to talk about. We prepare for the Combine, and of course, draft season is nearly upon us. Welcome back to episode 34 of Loaded Sport. It's now time to finally start talking about the NFL again. The Super Bowl is long in the rearview mirror and we look towards the NFL Combine, which is taking place this upcoming weekend. We're briefly going to discuss it because, Skin, I'm pretty sure you've read what must nearly be now 100 mock drafts. I think we're uh, you're over-exaggerating, mate. I think I'm at about 76 so far. Um, but now, look, anyone that knows me, full disclosure for, for our listeners, draft season is my favourite season. I know it's off-season, I know there's no on-field action, but just fucking love it. I love it all. I love the mock drafts, I love the predictions, I love the the trades and everything that can happen on draft night and the build-up to that. And then the hype of draft season ending, that build-up to the season and who's going to perform, who's been taken too high, who's who's a great value pick and all the conversations that you have. So, yeah, it's, it's my kind of season. Uh, with the combine uh, comes the, the potential for the draft to be blown wide open. And, and this year, the focus is on the quarterbacks. We know Chicago Bears have the number one overall pick and, and a 99.9% chance that they're not going to take a quarterback with them looking set with Justin Fields, which leaves the door open now for a trade for that number one pick, who that could be. Again, there's any number of teams that could potentially move up, but then that could also be affected by what happens in free agency with the you know a number of veterans that will be available via free agency, but also a potential trade. And again, another reason why I love this time year because it takes one domino, one team to make a move, which then sets off everyone else around them making moves. And that could be panic moves, that could be good moves, but we could, time will only tell with how it affects them next season. Now, in terms of quarterbacks, that usually, as I say, is where the main focus lies with the Combine. CJ Stroud has announced that he will be taking part in the Combine. <clears throat> Excuse me. Will Levis has said that he will be taking part in the Combine, a, a guy with a phenomenal arm in, in terms of his stature and potential and strength is, is drawing comparisons to Josh Allen. And Florida's Anthony Richardson, who is a real sort of He's got the potential to blow this sort of top 10 picks and, and the order in which quarterbacks go wide open with a good performance. He's a physical beast. And I think a lot of mock drafts at the moment have been taken maybe towards the end of the first. But I think he could really push himself into a top 10, top 15 pick, maybe in the top two, three quarterbacks that are taken with a good performance in the combine, which a lot of people are expecting. Now, Bryce Young, who for the most part is the consensus 
first quarterback to be taken off the board has announced he won't be taking part in the combine and will wait until his pro day at Alabama to show off what he can do in the drills. And I do think that could set off a little bit of panic in, in the NFL GM world in terms of strategies and who they'll pick. Uh, it, well, again, at this point, who knows? Come come later this week when we're talking you know, about what's happened and who's looked well, I really think Bryce Young could start to move down a few draft boards with, with the performances of Stroud, Richardson and Levis. They've all got great traits. Bryce Young has looked the best in college, but it is his height and it is his weight and it is his, his stature that has got a little bit of doubt, that little bit of a question mark. And with strong performances in the combine, that could really shake up what happens with the quarterbacks in the upcoming draft. So, yeah, the combine is the official start of draft season. Uh, and I can't wait. I can't wait for the fallout. I can't wait for who performs way better than they expected. I can't wait for those who you're expecting good thing from and people don't live up to that. Anything can happen over the next few days. And we're still, what, pretty much exactly two months away from the draft. So there's a long way to go. There is free agency. There are potential trains between now and then. But lads, I know we're a long, long way off of on-field NFL action um, restarting. But do not sleep on these next two or three months because... This is where things really start to heat up again, and I love it. Yeah, this is where chaos really begins to uh, to move forward. So the Patriots have the number 14 pick. So heading into this pro day as a Patriots fan, is there a position in particular or a person in particular that you're hoping really impresses to kind of urge your team to take them? It's tough. I think top of my priority list would be a cornerback or an outside wide receiver. And picking at 14 gives us the opportunity to to get a really, really good player with a lot of potential at either of those positions. So, yeah, a, a big-bodied wide receiver to help Mac Jones, especially now Bill O'Brien's come in, um, or a cornerback to replace JC Jackson, who I think we missed last season. So, yeah, they would be uh, they would be my top two positions. You've got a couple of picks, and I know we're very early, and we'll we'll get more into it as draft season approaches, but just off the top of the head with that number five pick and then that later first round pick, where are you hoping this, the Seahawks will uh, will focus on with those picks? Defensive line. We are not putting enough pressure on opposing quarterbacks. It is costing us dearly. And I've seen already a couple of names that I'd like to see perform well, one of which Miles Murphy. I'd love to see us pick him um, at number five if he's still there. Looking at the sides above, I'm pretty confident he will be. So, uh, with Gino performing very well last year, we don't need to worry about a quarterback so high. So, I think Miles Murphy... Do you not think, though, do you not think that is a bit... Look, like I said, a lot of people have have got Richardson going late first, maybe into the second. But I think come draft day, he ends up a top 10-15 pick. I think a team will take a shot on him. But do you not think it's a great opportunity to take a quarterback? Like a Will Levis isn't, isn't day one one ready Richardson isn't a day one ready if someone like him is available is that not a perfect position to put them in great coaching a veteran quarterback who's performing well to sit behind and learn ready to take the reins similar to a a Patrick Mahomes with the Chiefs you're not thinking now is the perfect time to take quarterback where the day one pressure isn't there at number five no I think to, to be fair if there's still quite a few there I could see us potentially offering to move back a couple of positions because there's a lot of sides in the top 10 15 that are looking for that quarterback and if we get a good enough offer we could probably move back a little bit 
with the number 20 pick, if the likes of Will Levi or um, Richardson do fall that far down, I can't see Young or Stroud personally falling that far down, even though Young's not going to be there this week. Um, I think at number 20, if the opportunity arises, yes, we could possibly jump at one of those. But at number five, I, I don't think we really need to. I think you're looking at a quarterback there that's going to walk into a team and just start from the very beginning, whether that's Young, Stroud. For me, the Colts, I've already said that I feel like the Colts are going to go to number one anyway. But Yeah, Jim like, say he's got a little bit of fucking dynamite in him. He'll, he'll fancy the, the big trade to move up to one. I reckon he goes number one and he takes CJ Stroud. That's my personal opinion. And then I think yeah. Young will fall a little bit further down, possibly even to second, to be fair. I think there's a chance Texans take the punt on him. But then if Will Levi or Richardson do fall all the way down to number 20, that's where I could see us maybe saying, yeah, OK, there's, there's a shot here for us. But no, at number five, we've got to look at putting pressure on the opposition quarterbacks. There'll be other quarterbacks down the line that, that at number five, we're missing out on the top two, aren't we, anyway? So why not yeah. Why not let it go for another year and just stick behind Gino he's not really done bad for us I think he set our record this year didn't he for the most passing yards in a season so yeah. uh, letting Russ Cook work well for us for the last 10 years didn't it or <laughs> yeah. not or not as just it goes just a bit um, Kemp what's yeah. your bit of news bit of Giants related news and then we'll get into the other uh, NFC East news mm. that was announced a little earlier but just very quickly Daniel Jones the GOAT as you call him who's, who's in your bad books a little bit after Rumours of him wanting forty to forty-five million pound a year in his contract. Uh, Rumour about half an hour to an hour ago. So while we have been recording, has come out that said that he, he will look at a lower price, more team-friendly deal if it means that they will uh, they'll, they'll pay Saquon. So taking Saquon away from him, it means there's more pressure yeah. on him. Which you can say, mm-hmm. yeah, fair enough. You would want more money in that situation. So the the sort of deal of look, I'll take less if you sign Saquon. Do you think that's fair? Where do you sit with that? With that little sort of that um, bit of context think, within it? I think it's fair for him to expect to to to, to, to take less, more um, team friendly deal. Um, I don't think anything to do with Saquon uh, is, is, uh, yeah. should, should go along with that. Listen, I think anybody that listened to that and listened to what he was commanding, um, little little gag there for you um, was uh, realistic and achievable you know he wasn't going to go to any other team and, and they were going to pay him that you know so it, it, when I first heard that it was quite easy for Shane to sign kind of you know Joe Shane to kind of sit there and say well alright then go and test for agency because nobody else is going to pay you that or do you want to stay here with an improving you know a, a great coach that we've just got you know we're just getting our foot in the door you've got a real good opportunity to be our, our our guy for the foreseeable future you know let's not be silly so i think we will re-sign dj based on the the news and i think he will come down in his expectations and his pay expectations i don't think we will pay saquon I am not quite as up to speed and up to date with the news as, as you guys are, so forgive me if I'm wrong. But am I still right in thinking we could potentially tag Saquon? Yeah, you've not tagged yeah. either yet. You will have yeah. to tag one, but that's obviously on the mm. proviso that you sign the other one. So. Yeah. so I think if you put a gun to my head now, I think I can see us signing DJ and tagging Saquon, and yeah. DJ will suck it up. And ultimately, we can, you know, keep Saquon for another year, tie DJ down to a decent deal that works for both of us. And then we can focus moving forward on free agency and in the draft because it's the first time in quite a while where the New York Giants haven't got one very, very specific need 
to address. For example, quarterback, you know, when Eli Manning left us and then it was the offensive line. And then, you know, we've had these issues that we've really, really needed to fix. Um, we, we were doing okay with all that last season. We've got the 25th overall pick this year. So that gives you an idea as to how okay we did. Um, and I've seen a couple of different mock drafts. You know, a few mock drafts have got us taking a linebacker. A couple have got us taking a, a cornerback. A, a couple have got us taking a wide receiver. So it's going to be very interesting as a New York Giants fan. And it's going to be very strange to be waiting so long for us to take our, our first pick. But I'm not complaining about that. Um, but yeah, I've, I've got all the faith in the world of, of Joe Shane um, and, and Brian Dayball getting it done. And no matter what we do in this offseason and in the draft, you know, I'm I'm very, very confident as a Giants fan, which I haven't been for a long time, um, in getting the right personnel and in the right positions to give us a real chance at going even further next season. So we'll see. Okay. Just before we hey, well, move it's away. It's good yeah. to talk NFL again. Just before we move away from discussing the draft for now, Skin, you've spoken quite a bit about um, the draft class so far and what's going on this week. Uh, can we expect a mock draft of your own to appear on the Loaded Sport website before the draft takes place? Mate, if you want one, you know me. I will. Uh, I will be there writing up, reading up, and and all and all the lot and everything that goes with it. I can't wait. Like I said, it's my favourite time of year. Carson Wentz today, caught by the uh, Washington Commanders, saving twenty six million pound in cap space. So. You can only think they're gonna go big and hard in the oh, in the free agency. I love it. Just little again. I mentioned it earlier. That little domino. One team has cut one player and they've saved twenty six million dollars in cap space. One team trades, other teams panic. Tomorrow and over the next couple of days, a quarterback looks absolutely phenomenal in in the combine, and all of a sudden, I, I, I'm with you, Adam. Like a lot of people, a lot of experts have got Bryce Young going as the first quarterback off the board. I wouldn't be surprised if come night one of the draft, he is the third quarterback taken. I just think there'll be too many question marks about his uh, his sort of his stature at the next level. So yeah, like I said, so the little dominoes that knock all the others over. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Can't yeah, wait, and, and that Carson Wentz one, that's that's a could be a fairly big domino. You could have a team that you know is is, is needing a quarterback, and they were going to maybe wait to the draft. Now they see Carson Wentz as is on the, you know, available to sign. They, they look at him and they think, oh, actually, you know, I like Carson Wentz as a quarterback. Let's sign him for a year and, and put off our quarterback problem for next year and let everybody else fight it out for the quarterbacks yeah. in the draft. So Don't think yes, Colts will go back for him, though. Not, not the Colts specifically. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like I say, just, just any team that's, that's desperate and crying out for a quarterback, even if it's a quick fix... I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen, but like I say, that's that's the domino effect that you just mentioned there, and that one thing happening, it, it opens you know potentially many many doors for uh, for things to follow on. So um, yeah, I'm not surprised it's your favourite time of the year, Dawson, and I'm I'm looking forward to it very very much. Carson Wentz joins an already um, quite big quarterback market. Looking at the potential that Lamar Jackson could be available. Of course, we know Derek Carr is available. So uh, over the next couple of weeks, there's more and of that's that. That's not even mentioning Aaron Rodgers, who's potentially done with the Packers. Yeah, Derek Carr as well. It, interesting Derek you just Carr. said that, Adam. I was reading a, a mock from CBS over the weekend, and it actually had Washington Commanders trading for Lamar Jackson. He nice. needs paying. Commanders have just had a lot, saved themselves a lot of money. Let's see what I mean. <laughs> oh, mm. That's the domino options. effect, baby. But it's also the domino effect, and you can relate it back to your own teams because DJ commanding the money that he was commanding, 
you know, we can ultimately go out there now and say, well, actually, you know, there's, there's however many quarterbacks that are looking as though they're going to be free agents. You know, you're asking for this amount of money. Yeah. You know, can we get a better value for money than you? And then that Would gives you take us a Derek Carr in, in that team. Depends how much we're paying him. Depends how much we're paying him. But ju- mean, let's just go just based on what you think he could do on the field because he's not going to want yeah. top three, top four money. I, I think I think he'll probably sort of be not. around the 35. Probably mark. not. Probably not. But ultimately, it's a bargaining chip, isn't it? And for me, yeah. that's the most important thing because DJ comes with his balls out and puts them on the table and says, right, I want 40, 45 mil. Then we can turn around and say, all right, well, do you think you're better than Derek Carr? Because, you know, we can probably pay him 30 mil and you can fuck yourself off. So... It's a bargaining chip. It's something that we can use, and I'm sure we will, um, to strengthen our position in negotiations. But yeah, Dawson, just talking about it now and just talking about all these different scenarios, it's getting me very excited and it's near bedtime, so I need to calm myself down a little bit. Well, if we've learned anything today, lads, it's where Kemp has learned his negotiation tactics from, and I never knew it was from DJ, and I never had him as the <laughs> man that would be putting his balls on the table uh, and Kemp would learn that from. So yeah, if, if we've learned anything, it's that. Uh, Lads, that is all we've got time for. It's good to be speaking NFL again, and I look forward to over the next couple of months as we build up to the NFL draft, of course, taking place at the end of April. There's, of course, the free agency, the combine, and a lot more to discuss along the way as well. But thank you very much for joining me this afternoon. Uh, Skin, just remind us one more time who's going to be joining us later this week to take on the listener lock-in. I would hate to take that moment away from camp, mate, so come take it. it away. Oh yeah, absolutely. We're gonna have, we're gonna have uh, Joseph James Shaffy the third uh, joining us on uh, this week. He's prime for fucking combine anyway. That name. Oh mate, he's uh, he'd, he'd be a uh, what would Shaffy be? I reckon Shaffy would be a good tight end. You know, quite Do you think t- that... fairly tall, but you know, decently athletic in his day. But unfortunately for Shaffy, it is prime when he was seventeen. So it's all been <laughs> To be fair, mate, didn't we all? <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. But yeah, looking forward to having Shaf on the podcast this week and uh, joining us for Kempi's Combat Corner to preview Jones versus Cyril Garn this weekend. And we're looking forward to it. We're loaded sport and we're firing on all cylinders. Dawson, where can we get us on our social media? Loaded Sport on Facebook and Spotify and YouTube for your listening pleasure at Loaded Sport on Twitter and at Loaded underscore on at. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> at loaded underscore sport on Instagram. Yeah, Wait, somehow managed to say at loaded underscore score, which is uh, nice. definitely effort. not a handle that absolutely anyone in the world owns. But yeah, we got there, didn't we? A great effort as well. As well as that, of course, it's the return of the Formula One season. So we'll be discussing that on Friday as well. So stick around with us. But lads, thank you very much for joining me. Cheers, thank Andy. You, mate. Have a good evening.